0: This podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at cyphercast.net, and follow us on Twitter at CypherCastNet.
1: Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I am Jason, and I will be your guide along the path of suns. I bring with me two fellow travelers. Hello, I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And today we sing One Spell. With A Distant Light Pierces the Mist, we discuss the new podcast, The Secret Cellar.
2: With A Distant Light Pierces the Mist, we discuss inspirations for our Invisible Sun campaigns. This time around, we're pulling Jason Robinson, no relation, out of the secret cellar in order to talk to him about his the strange new place under Zero's bar. So welcome, Jason. Thank you. It is uh, it's good to be here. Uh, we understand you are uh, in the process of launching a podcast with a, a pretty strong Invisible Sun connection, but possibly going beyond that. Uh, so tell us a little bit about this uh, new podcast you're, you're launching.
1: That is all fair. Um, yeah, I, I've carved out a little piece of lore for myself in the secret, hidden basement underneath Zero's uh Sorry, Zero's bar, <laughs> which we know as a uh, a place that has has that exists in in Invisible Sun. Um, and I am, uh, yeah, I am creating a podcast to talk about the the broader topic of modern storytelling, but aesthetically, it's entirely set inside of the lore and world of his Invisible Sun.
2: I like to think that you're already world building and that zero's dot bar is just uh, a a separate room that is one dimension away from zero's bar and only accessible from the (laughs) cellar. I think that's an entirely uh, possible uh, representation of how
1: things might work.
0: And the dot bar, the, the dot bar top level domain, I didn't know that thing actually existed and I'm very happy about it. It made me very happy too. I was I was poking around and I was torn for a bit because
1: Zero's pub exists and is a lot cheaper. But in my Ooh. mind, Zero's was just never a pub, so I, I I plopped down the the extra pennies and and got a dot bar. I'm I'm, I'm pleased with it.
0: Yeah, a pub is a uh, much calmer and more English. I think uh, I think a bar fits better for a 1920s sort of surreal setting.
2: I, I think that's true. So what is it that drew you to Invisible Sun initially, and then to uh, the notion of using it as a fictional location for a podcast? So I have been
1: captivated with Invisible Sun sort of aesthetically since very first hearing about it. Um, I play a lot of Numenera and some other things, and I love them for their system, but they aren't really my jam in terms of the world, I guess. Um, But... Invisible sun is <laughs> is me through and through. So that really captivated me. And then um, as I started uh, getting into understanding and reading a little bit more, um, it really came to life in my mind as a fertile place for the idea of, I think I'm captivated by the idea of uh, transition between the two worlds and this idea of the gray and the indigo and I think we try to reach past our mundane lives here with stories a lot of times. And something about that thematically really seemed to to fit in for me with Invisible Sun.
0: So the, the secret cellar kind of exists in between those two worlds is what I'm kind of getting an impression of. Would that be about right?
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I, you know, sometimes you come home from work and you don't want to do anything great. You just want to wear sweatpants and watch bad TV and eat Cheetos. And I feel like Visley sometimes must want to do that too. I feel like they're they're tired sometimes of uh, all of the actuality and reality and truth they have to deal with. And so yeah. sometimes they have a, a bit of nostalgia for the gray, but they don't want to slip back entirely. So the secret cellar is a place they can do that without fear or guilt. And uh, we on the side of the gray are longing for something maybe a little more transcendent sometimes. So I feel like the secret seller is has one foot in each of those worlds. It's a place where we can meet in the middle.
2: So with the, um, the you know, you've got a, a, in-game connection then, uh, for, uh, the game itself, uh, thematically, I'm wondering, is there something that you found inspiring in the visuals or in, uh, some of the, you know, locations that have been discussed in, in um, Invisible Sun, uh, uh, I guess, obviously Zeros, uh, but beyond that, that uh, inspired you to you know, commit to this particular uh, setting? Well, I liked the idea from the very earliest that
1: we knew about Invisible Sun, Zeros bar was was mentioned and there were some props and some artwork. And I liked the idea of a watering hole, a place where people who are in uh, in Invisible Sun in Saturn or in the actuality, come together to hang out. It's kind of like cheers for the Visley set. Um, hmm. And so I, I wanted it to be a, a gathering place because part of my goal for the podcast is to draw out people who are Invisible Sun fans and players who maybe aren't the normal faces that we hear from um, and a place for everyone to kind of get to know the community better. So that was hmm. the the germ of it, really. Um and then as I started thinking about it, I realized I didn't only ever want to talk about this game, but I felt like the setting was still uh, a fertile and appropriate backdrop for the kinds of things I wanted to explore, even if I'm talking to people who at the, who don't play Invisible Sun.
2: Uh, in, in your efforts to recruit people to participate in this conversation, have you found that the setting Visible Sun is daunting for them or are people willing to just uh, kind of <laughs> let you handle the invisible sun narrative uh, side of the podcast and uh, be uh, kind of carry along on the ride until they get to this, this storytelling conversation? <laughs> I'm intending to have the storytelling conversation first in each episode. So
1: there's a, a warning in the beginning of the upcoming first episode, I guess it will have been published by the time this, uh, this, releases that the longer you stay in each episode the nerdier it's gonna get so I'm gonna move I'm gonna move the non-invisible Sun stuff forward so that if people start getting weirded out by all of the nerdy in references they can uh, you know just stop but still get the the relevant stuff um, so far I've asked a few people to be on the show and none of them have seemed bothered by it uh, I've just explained to them that it's a world they may not know but it's basically like, being halfway to Narnia and everyone gets that reference. So.
0: Oh, one foot in the wardrobe and one foot in Narnia. I, I think I remember that.
2: Yeah, that is, that is accurate. Uh, with an occasional wrong cat wandering by. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's a much weirder wardrobe
1: than Lucy's was, but.
0: Um, can, can we talk a little bit about uh, how you introduce your, your guests on your show um, and talk about the, like the framing device that you have there with the secret. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Sure. So, since you asked, uh, Dave, I am drinking uh, some black tea tonight with um, blood orange in it and uh, cinnamon. Um,
0: Blood orange? Oh, so surreal.
1: (laughs) Had to to pick something at least a little dark. Um, Yeah, every interview is going to start with the question of what it is that you're drinking. We are in a bar, um, and I'm requiring all of my guests to have a beverage in front of them. It doesn't need to be an alcoholic beverage, but something that they enjoy and that brings them calm. Um, and the reason for that is that you can go upstairs to zeros and you can order a blood Carlisle or, you know, some other crazy, fantastical, surreal drink, but, um, down in the secret cellar, you know, they work very hard to import, um, you know, Coca-Colas and, uh, like Tang and anything else they can get their hands on from the gray and, uh, you know, it's kind of an illicit trade, but they bring these things to the actuality and then uh, traffic in them. So if you have a favorite thing that you remember from the gray, you can, um you can hopefully uh, order one here in the secret cellar. And that's what uh, everyone begins the show drinking. And so we have a little chat about that at the beginning of each episode.
0: Yeah, it's a super cool hook. I really like it.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: I think oh. the, the the slightly
1: deeper layer of that is, you know, these are things, if I get myself a good old fashioned in front of me, it's a simple pleasure that I have here in shadow that just brushes against something transcendent where I feel for a moment like, yeah, I've I've reached a little bit beyond and I am uh, more my true self in this moment that I'm enjoying this delicious beverage in front of me. And, um, and I, I think that that's the kind of thing that even once we've moved on to the actuality and the full understanding of everything, we'll mm. still have... A little bit of reflective nostalgia for the things we did enjoy here in Shadow.
2: But it provides an interesting uh, uh, kind of mirroring exercise where you, storytelling becomes the the connection between those who are using uh, the the lo- this location uh, to escape the gray uh, and those who are using it to escape mm-hmm. reality. Uh, and the, you know, the the point, the unity point, then is storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, What sort of – what are some examples of the sorts of topics that you want to get to on the storytelling side and then maybe some that you anticipate uh, those – or some directions those discussions might move to as you, say, uh, get nerdier and nerdier uh, (laughs) along the timeline of a particular episode? Oh, sure. So one example –
1: well, there's one person that I have lined up to be on the show. This may be the second or possibly third episode. Very, very dear friend of mine. She is um, a writer of fiction and short stories. but And she will actually be in my... <laughs> this is fun. She's going to be in my Invisible Sun game. She has never played a role-playing game in her life. Um, mm. And you know normally I would not recommend to people that they start a new tabletop role-playing gamer on Invisible Sun. But... Erin is brilliant. She'll be fine. Uh, and also, she, yeah, as I said, she is a fiction writer, and um, actually, she is married to a poet. <laughs> and so they, they both live in this liminal place in their day to day lives. Um, and they're going to be joining. And I'm really excited in my personal home game once the cube ships to have. A couple of people in our group who are not your typical gamer, who are familiar with any of the conventions or have any idea what's going on. But these are two lovely people who tell dark and wonderful and weird and very human stories in their own media, mediums. Um, And I'm really excited to see what they are going to bring to the table. Um, So I'm going to be talking with Erin about her. She tends to write on a theme of, um, oh, shall we say... She smashes lots of common institutions and presumptions in her writing, uh, but with a great amount of compassion for humanity. She's not cynical. She's just perceptive and unafraid to to break boundaries. (laughs) And so uh, I asked her about you know her, 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 our initial conversations about her character, and she said, "Well, don't you know I'm going to be an apostate?" I went, "Great." <laughs> so there, there, there is a, a little bit of a connected theme where it's going to be a sort of philosophical exploration of what it means to be apostate as a as a personality type here in our world. Um, but mostly, we're going to be talking about her writing, and she, as of yet, really knows nothing about Invisible Sun. Um, so that's one example. And then farther down the nerd train, there is a. A person I've come to know on the internet, whom I haven't even spoken to about this, so I won't give details. But uh, this person has created a uh, a game that takes place inside the world of Invisible Sun, and I would love mm-hmm. to have them on the show and talk about what it means to, like, what inspired them to create a game <laughs> inside of this world, and how did they go about it? And so I'm I'm hoping to convince them to show up on the show in one of the nerdier segments.
2: Yeah, I know. I think I'm pretty sure I know what you're talking about. That would be very interesting. I look forward to hearing about that. It, it sounds like your players maybe uh, has, has a head start on what can be the most difficult part of starting into Invisible Sun. That is understanding the nature of surrealism uh, and the types of stories that it empowers. Uh, I think it might be easier to kind of help someone learn the rules of Invisible Sun than it is to help them engage the theme. Uh, so you, I think you'll find you she'll be, be able to step right up. I think that's true. Yeah, there are already surrealistic elements in some of her
1: stories. Um, and you know, i'll I'll be honest. I was <laughs> I told you I was aesthetically drawn to Invisible Sun, but I was terrified in the beginning about what it would mean to tell stories in this space because surreality seemed incredibly daunting to me. um, and it was actually your. This podcast, your original, uh, the first couple of episodes, especially surrounding some of the the context about World War One and what the Surrealism movement as an art movement actually came out of, um, all of the the fear about what it meant that Enlightenment had been broken, <laughs> um, hmm. that really helped me put some hooks to. Oh, wait, I, I actually do have stories in mind that fit into that world and kind of gave me some handles for how to deal with the madness of all of it. Uh, so, so thank you for that. But um, yeah.
0: Hey, Scott. Well, thank you. We did it. Yay. Mission accomplished. 30 episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> we, we got one person. We helped one person out. We did it. <laughs> Yeah, I understand what you're,
2: you're saying, though. I had a similar experience with uh, Numenera, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first saw the art and uh, read about the uh, world of Numenera, uh, my reaction was, this is beautiful, this is interesting, and I don't feel qualified to GM a story. Mm-hmm.
0: That's really um, interesting. Uh, <laughs> sorry to interrupt here, but uh, Jason, after doing this show for nearly 50 episodes, I'm still a bit nervous about running a (laughs) game in a surreal setting, and I still don't have a a great handle on it. But when it comes to something like Numenera, like, man, whatever, Numenera is super easy. Like, I can slip into that setting no problem at all, and Mm -hmm. I'm very comfortable there.
1: What is it, I know I'm probably not supposed to be asking the questions, but what is it for <laughs> for you, Scott, that makes you nervous about Numenera as a setting in which to tell stories? And what is it for you, Dave, about Invisible Sun?
0: <laughs> Go ahead,
1: Scott.
2: Um, I think that Invisible Sun filled in a gap for me in that when I saw the art for Numenera, I was impressed by the imagination and i was not sure i could live up to those expectations of creating something that was weird yet coherent Mm -hmm. uh that was you know uh, incomprehensible to the players but somehow communicated or or i should say incomprehensible to the characters but communicated uh to the players uh and I, i was just worried about handling that and how i would generate uh, coherent ideas with Invisible Sun. Wh- what clicked for me was the politics of surrealism, and then it, which laid a foundation for me. Like, oh, okay, now I understand that the the uh, emanating point from which I can create the weird that would in- instead be surreal is sort of the uh, foundational elements of the Enlightenment and our world and our social constructions and the like. Mm-hmm. So suddenly, I had that that that, that uh, crystallizing piece that uh, from which everything else sort of came together for Invisible Sun. And, and I would be less intimidated now with Numenera, but my Numenera games would be probably very surreal <laughs> because that's that's what I would use as my inspiring point.
0: Yeah, uh, for me, the you know what makes me anxious about running Invisible Sun with a surreal setting is I think right now I'm more concerned that what I'm going to end up with is something that feels a lot like Numenera in that everything is weird and strange. Mm-hmm. But there's not anything more going on other than, oh, that's odd, but it's only odd for the sake of being odd.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you actually run, uh, have you been running any games, Dave?
0: Uh, I did run a couple sessions of the playtest, yes. Okay. Uh-huh. And, it, uh, you know, I I think uh, I was able to lean on the players uh, to bring more of the surreal nature out uh, for, you know, they they were able to get into it and get comfortable with that sort of setting. So I think it's more about how much you're going to bring to it and how much the players are going to bring to it uh, than like how much you as the GM has to just handle all on your own.
2: Nice one way the community as a whole can address this intimidation that we've all felt in different ways uh, is by sharing ideas. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you have some uh, some ideas on how to create platforms for that sort of sharing. I do. You know, there's a, f- a thing that
1: has fascinated me ever since hearing about the directed campaign, which is, <laughs> in my mind, Invisible Sun, not that you couldn't do this with any other story world or RPG, but more than any others, I think Invisible Sun strikes me as kind of a, <laughs> an MMOTRPG. Like there's, a, there's a, a shared there's a shared vision of the world that sprouts naturally out of a couple of the design decisions that I think MCG made about this game, where, as an example, with the directed campaign, for all of us who signed up for that, at some point, you know, next year, We're not all going to be on the same time frame, but there are going to be certain elements of this story world that are going to be shared collectively among a bunch of different tables scattered all across the world of people who are playing the game. And they're not all going to go exactly the same. We might run into some character that Monty ships to us and one party might kill that character and another might ally with that character. But we're going to have that character on the forefront of our mind. And I think our online conversations as we get to collaborate are, are gonna are gonna reflect that. We're gonna have the shared understanding. And the fact too that we're all starting in Saturn. You know, this isn't a world where you just start, you know, in Numenera, you might set a campaign and start in any city. And for the most part, everyone here is going to be starting in the same city. And I remember hearing about the noodle shop that you mentioned, the surreal noodle shop that you have. And uh, and I remember thinking, oh, I, I want to take my characters there. And so there's this strange sense where, you know, if if I create something interesting in my neighborhood while I'm creating my character and you hear about it and you think that's interesting, you might decide to place your character's house in the same neighborhood. And then we both have this shared connection where, you know, a local issue is a part of what both of our characters are dealing with, even though we're, you know, even though I'm in Arizona, and you're in Detroit or wherever, you know, Um, and I I think that's really fascinating. And that's something that doesn't show up naturally, uh, doesn't bubble to the surface naturally in, you know, D&D or Numenera. So that has fascinated me from the beginning. Um,
0: uh, do do you think something like that is going to be more feasible here? Because with the directed campaign, there's going to be that GM, like website forum discussion channel.
1: I think that's going to be a significant part of it. Um, I'm working on another little project right now that will be Mm -hmm. sort of that, but open to not only people who are part of the directed campaign. Um, and it currently exists mostly as a Twitter account, which is just called the notion. It's 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 awkward to say it's at V underscore notion underscore because all the other normal variations on that were taken. Um, but the actual thing is basically an in-world satirine tabloid called the crepuscule notion. And really what it is in disguise is just a wiki where people can put uh, events and characters and stories and moments from their own campaign for other people to draw inspiration from. So if I come up with a summoned demon that is super interesting and i add it to the wiki you might decide to use that demon in your campaign and if your players fight that demon and cut off its arm maybe you make a note on that entry and next time my players encounter the demon i decide to incorporate that and say oh yeah that demon no longer has an arm and my players aren't going to know why but it's actually because of something that happened at your table so i really like that idea of sharing bits and pieces of story for others to reuse and bounce back and forth uh, as part of the creative process, that I just don't think that would work as well in any other setting as this.
2: Yeah, I, I think this is a great idea. Uh, one thing, I, I've been impressed since the launch of Numenera, really, about the robust community that's developed around Cook Games settings and, and, and games. Uh, it's remarkably kind of open and uh, supportive community, but it hasn't been one that's generated a lot of these sorts of substantive uh, pieces to draw into games. I don't know if, if it's been if that's been diverted into the uh, the uh, drive through RPG program. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much of it you know, is is kind of then pulled into uh, the self publishing world? Uh, but there hasn't been. Uh, as much sharing of little pieces like this that I think can be useful across games. And this might be a platform to do that. Uh, there was an attempt to early on for a kind of a web presence uh, where such sharing could take place, but for a, a variety of reasons, it really didn't take off.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember there were some wikis when Invisible Sun first came out, which were sort of more about sharing. You know, we had these little scraps of information <laughs> and there were some wikis that were attempting to put together all the information we know about this game that's coming out someday. Um, but obviously that gets problematic as the actual game is here soon, because, uh, you know, we don't want to be, uh, you know, this this is not a wiki to be posting actual information about the game itself, because you should just go by the game. But, um, but, you know, things that people are creating, it's a place for that. Uh, and then it serves as a reference to, you know, watching a woman with hollow eyes. One of the brilliant things about the way Darcy handled that was, You know, they had that list of player-generated summonable entities and flux events and stuff like that ahead of time. And so she would get to a spot in the story. She's like, "We need an NPC. Let's pull one from this list, and this will serve as a little bit of that too." So if you quickly need an NPC, you can quick check and look at all the all the playable or you know all the NPCs that other people have submitted. Maybe draw one um, from that list and use it in your game really quickly. So I'm hoping it can be
2: a a practical reference for GMs as well as kind of a inspirational reference for players. Right, I think uh, demons are a good example. Also having a page of exotic materials for makers. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and there's a, a variety of, of places you could go, which is just almost bullet points mm-hmm. of here's just 30 interesting, surreal things you could pull into your campaign at any given time. Absolutely. Yep. You're uh, you're to it. So that, that thing, by the way, if anyone's interested
1: and wants to be involved in this, it's very much under construction. Um, the website for that project is the Um, the, the sort of lore is that this secret cellar is in a, a hidden basement below zero's bar. And the, uh, editor of the notion has rented out a, an office above the kitchen of zero's.bar and, uh, is starting his publication from there. Um, so they're all, you know, in the same, the same place sort of, but, um, if you are interested in uh, writing or contributing, uh, you know it's 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 a little bit in shambles right now, but we're putting it all together. I have a little community of about twenty people from the internet who are uh, writing and gathering bits and pieces, and uh, it's slowly coming together. So I'm I'm hoping to have something substantive, eh, more or less, by the time the game ships, or a bit after. We'll see.
2: That sounds that sounds great. Uh, I had have had an idea for a while, been kicking around of having a contest of some sort based on some of our earlier segments um, on uh, Surreal This or Surreal It, <laughs> uh, where we talked about surreal uh, variations on common tropes. Mm-hmm. And it'd be, it'd be kind of fun to do a contest where uh, that h- it would help populate these lists. Uh, I don't even know what exactly that would be, but it would be, you know, uh, Every month or whatever, putting up a uh, particular trope and saying, "Okay, give us your best surreal version of this." Oh, that would be delightful.
1: Uh, That would be really cool. You could personify Incantations podcast as a character who uh, is an occasional contributor to uh, to the the crepuscule
0: (laughs) notion. I love it.
2: (laughs) Well, I think that uh, covers the the basics of the podcast and and this broader effort to create a. a platform for sharing of information for invisible sun and to help build the community because the, uh, the community around money cook games has been so vital to the growth and uh, sustainability of the other games. And and, uh, I'm optimistic it will be similar in this case.
0: Uh, Dave, do you have any other questions? Um, Off the top of my head? No, I don't think so. I guess um, who are, who are some of the guests that you have lined up on your podcast that, uh, that are going to be coming out over the next few episodes.
1: Sure. Um well I mentioned uh, my friend Aaron who's probably next up. Um I don't mm-hmm. wanna you know, I don't wanna like uh throw people under the bus by mentioning other other names. Oh you haven't recorded I, all of them yet. Oh no, I've 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 completed one episode, which is the one that you heard, which is coming out shortly. Uh yeah, so let's talk about yeah. that one. <laughs> so so this this first one, um, my dear friend Ian Smith is a game designer. He works in uh in the industry and um but also is just i just love listening to the way he thinks and so he and i had a chat about i'm a user experience designer by trade and he's a game designer so we talked a bit about what you know invisible sun is a complex game and rule set compared to something like Numenera. um hmm. And so we we talk about what that means and why, you know, why has Monty Cook, who has spent years perfecting and perfecting and refining and streamlining uh, these systems to make something like Numenera or Cypher System, very low barrier to entry, very accessible. Uh, I invited my parents to a game the other day. They have never played an RPG. They've never had any idea what This thing is that I do, and I I got them to uh, jump into a predation game, and they had a blast. And this is because of the um, the 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 elegant simplicity of this. Um, But what's interesting is that Monty has taken all of those years of learning how to simplify, and then gone and tackled this really crazy, audacious, preposterous, complex world, but made it accessible and approachable through
0: a whole bunch of different. Tricks, (laughs)
1: Tricks, <laughs> and we, uh, we we talk about that. So, yeah, that'll be the first episode.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a good episode. I listened to it, uh, and I believe I saw it already out on the iTunes store. Um, that was a mistake because I don't know what I'm doing
1: yet, and I <laughs> was poking around with the RSS feed today and accidentally published it and then unpublished it. But I'm <laughs> intending to publish it um, uh, on. Well, tomorrow, which will, you know, it'll be published tomorrow. But by the time you all hear this on the podcast, it will be out.
0: Yeah. Um, How often are you going to be uh, publishing episodes? Do you you anticipate?
1: I'm shooting for biweekly on Wednesdays. We'll see how real life works because uh, this is a new venture for me. But that's my goal.
0: Uh, Sounds good. And yeah, uh, I had a couple of RSS issues early on. I I recall.
1: (laughs) It's It's a strange world, but I'm figuring it out.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, that sounds great. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk to us about your, your show and all the other stuff that you're starting to put together. It's really exciting.
1: Well, thank you both. It's been a pleasure to be here
2: with you. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond, from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from DriveThruRPG. Invisible Sun is currently available for pre-order at invisiblesunrpg.com. For a limited time, you'll receive an additional Sooth deck when you pre-order the game. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at agenseer.com. A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R on Twitter.
0: And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. Do us a favor. Leave us a rating uh, and a review on iTunes. Uh, It really helps people find out about our show. Another great way is to just uh, tell a friend. uh, Tell a friend about Incantations. Tell them about Invisible Sun. And that would really help us out a lot.